Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes after iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. It, they take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. This is Tanner Scott, and you're listening to Section 336. Yeah, let's go that. <laughs> Section 336. The next generation of Baltimore sports talk. Today on the show, the Ravens get another dominating victory against another subpar opponent. And as the Orioles fall out of playoff contention, we will discuss what went wrong with the Orioles. All that and more on this edition of Section 336. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. I'm your endearingly stunning host, Matt Soroka. And as always, I'm joined by the zany Burt Rohde. What up, 336ers? Hi. And the button lover, Josh Soroka. Hello. <laughs> did, you, did you want a little more than that? We're also joined by Adam Pohl of the Bowie Base, the Bowie Base Sox uh, play-by-play guy. Adam, it's good to see you again. What's up, fellas? Thank you for having me. I know I'm introducing you to the show. We got the game on here in the background. This, I know, is a tough moment for you. You got your boy Austin Hayes up there with the bases loaded. <laughs> Look at that. That and, was a uh, fun hit. Yeah. He, well, Austin Hayes just hit the ball up the middle. Little two RBI, it hit, single hit to second, center. Hit second base. Well, it, hit, it was a grounder up the middle. Hit second base hard and went out into center field. So yeah, Austin, so. Austin Hayes just doing for the Orioles what he did down there at Bowie, isn't that right? Yeah, just a, uh, really an incredible season for Hayes to uh, uh, come uh, so quickly through the Orioles organization. It's interesting how it, how it works out, but uh, in the 2016 draft, I mean, the Orioles drafted almost all collegiate pitchers in yeah. the first 20 rounds. And Hayes was the top position player they drafted, and uh, not one of the pitchers, uh, frankly, only one other player called Billingsley was called up uh, for uh, the last uh, series of the season has made it to double A. And Hayes has not only made it to double A, but he's made it all the way up to the major leagues. So it, it's been a, an incredible rise for him. Yeah, it went. It, it has been an incredible rise. I, I, I don't know if you heard our podcast last week. I went on this little bit of a rant about why did the Orioles call Austin Hayes up now? Because when they called him up for the first week, he just sat on the bench. So he's taking up a 40-man spot. The arbitration clock is starting. He's missing the uh, the, the buoy playoffs. Right. All to ride the bench. And I was like, ah, I was a little frustrated and annoyed. A little. If you're going to call him up, like, play the guy. Or don't call him up, well, right? You, we felt that way, obviously, too. I mean, there's a method to the madness. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Not always, but okay. <laughs> well, you have to, I, I think that uh, Dan Duquette... 
uh, is probably the person that, that brought him up and, and was the main person behind that. And Buck Walter uh, really likes to play his veterans and, and uh, have guys prove that they should be there. And that's probably what happened in that regard. It was tough for us, though, because the Bay Sox, you know, had a very good season, uh, made the playoffs for a seventh time in franchise history. But if you look more recently, second time in three years, third time in the last six. So the Bay Sox have been really good on the field of late. And Hayes was obviously the most dynamic hitter in, in what was the best lineup uh, in the Eastern League this year. Uh, here at the end of the year, and we're playing against teams that were just pitching dominant teams where uh, we were really an offense first team, and you pull Hayes out of that lineup, it really took a lot of wind out of Bowie's sails, and, and they ended up scoring five runs uh, in three games being swept mm. away in the playoffs. Yeah, an offense first team. That sounds familiar. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's I've seen not, that before. It's not encouraging that the farm system is the same as the major leagues with offense first. Um, how much does – obviously – the Orioles see it as it's way more important for the Orioles to win games, so they bring up Austin Hayes because the the big league is what matters. That's what pays for all of this. That's sure. that's what that's what really matters. But how much is winning in the minors important? I think it's important because uh, playing for something is always important. You know, uh, when when the Bay Sox won the championship in 2015, the person that caught that final out uh, to celebrate was Trey Mancini. And when you look at the Bay Sox teams that have had great success even going back to the beginning of the uh, franchise in 1993. They're the teams that have probably the biggest and most dynamic major league players on it. So it doesn't mean that if the team is bad and you have a few guys here or there, uh, that those guys are, are not developing per se. But, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to come to the ballpark and play every single day. Uh, I think that uh, the passion of playing baseball, people that love the game of baseball, have such a greater chance to rise because of the kind of work ethic you need to, to have the desire and want to, to play and be successful at this game uh, day in and day out and get better and improve and such. Uh, so uh, when you are playing for something and going down the stretch, every single game the Bay Sox played in 2017 was an important game. I, even in the regular season, the last game of the regular season, Bowie had a chance to win first place and, and win the, the division in the regular season. So uh, I think that that is a good thing for, for development. Yeah, and, and certainly a, a great season for, for the Bay Sox. I think they exceed expectations on, on a lot of levels. Um, we have Adam Pohl, the Bay Sox announcer, here to talk about it. Um, but I do want to get to, and I have more questions about the Bay Sox and Tanner Scott and DJ Stewart and a whole bunch of other guys. But before we get there, I know Bert has jumped on full on the the Ravens bandwagon. Oh, I'm uh, A bandwagon that three weeks ago he did not know where it was. Now he's full on it. Right. Well, because I, I start every season fresh, even as pessimistic as I tend to be. Uh, but the Ravens are looking spectacular in these first two weeks, at least defensively. Spectacular, maybe not offensively. Uh, I know I watched the game this past Sunday where they beat the Browns. I don't even remember the final score. They, Browns only had 10 points. 24, I think, for the Ravens. Yeah, 24. Yeah, 24 yeah. to 10, so it was good. But I sat there with my friends watching the game, and I, I, there were definitely legitimate points where I said, I think I hate the Ravens. Joe Flacco sucks. You know, yeah, just right. the usual. Yeah, the right. so Joe Flacco interception where there's not a yeah. Raven receiver near. Ladarius yeah. Webb missing stuff yeah yeah exactly and then all of a sudden we now we got four uh interceptions for the second consecutive week yeah where in two years ago i think we only had six interceptions for the entire season yeah uh and now we've uh 
the top eight, eight yeah. in the first two yeah, weeks. The, the yeah, Ravens have amazing. eight. The next team in line has three. It's it's yes. a it's a dominant defense. Five turnovers in two weeks in each of the first against two, two games. bad quarterbacks. True. Well, three bad. Browns had two guys playing. But, but if you look, enough. if you look every year at at the top three or four teams as far as turnover margin in the NFL, throw away every other statistic, they're always in the playoffs. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. It's yeah. funny how that works. The defense, defense taking the ball away from the opponent is huge every single right. time. But I always have to restrain myself from getting too excited because I remember last year I got super excited. We started three and zero. This is different, but yeah, I get your point. Well, it's not that different because uh, last week, last year in week two. We played the Browns and we won, just yeah. like we did this year. Yeah, but how the did, game was closer. The game, the games were close. Those who do you think we played in Week Three last year? I did you play the Jaguars? We did play the Jaguars. <laughs> in week three. It's like a recap of last season. Uh, only this time it's going to be in London this week on yeah. Week Three, and I think uh, we did beat Jacksonville last year to start three and zero. I would, even but again, say we, we Jacksonville squeaking by. Jacksonville's better this year than they were last year, and the Browns Maybe. as well. The Browns are better this year than Maybe. last year. Mm. It's early. It's it's early. Um, I mean, I, the, the thing about the Ravens, though, are they going to have enough? I mean, the amount of injuries. Oh yeah. I mean, Marshall Yonda not, is now out for the year. Yonda's huge. Um, he is huge, and it, the injury is huge the as well. Is a huge <laughs> hurt. Yeah. For sure. Brandon Williams on the defensive angle. side. Is yeah, Brandon Williams. So we we don't know how long he's going to be out, but it seems that he's going to be out for extended period of time. Right, so another if you pick injury. up on the way that they're talking about it, like he's not out for the season, which implies he's out for right. a period of time. But it's undisclosed. Yeah. So it's. The health is going to be, and this is true every year in the NFL, right? Yep, yep. Healthy teams do better than teams that and, are. And yeah, it's a it's a soft start, but if you start three and zero with soft teams, those are still wins. Yeah, I, it's I, still I, something to build. I, on. I hate the, the the criticism of who you play. Right, like you, a, you, you 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 play who's there and you win the game. The big thing too is the Ravens' style of football. I think really plays towards having success at the end of the season when it gets cold because they don't rely solely on throwing the football. No, they and, certainly do not. And <laughs> <laughs> therefore, uh, you know, it, it's big for them to, to get off to a good start. Yeah, absolutely. I, I start fresh every season, and I, I, if things are going good, I want to keep things good. So I tend to be a bit superstitious. Uh-oh. And I was wondering if you guys were at all. But, you know, Fridays are Purple Fridays, at least around my house and around – you know, the kids' schools and things like that. Purple Friday is a thing. Right. And yeah. so for the past two Fridays, I've busted out. I brought it in the studio. <laughs> this old Raven shirt, this is from 2000. It's, uh, it smells like it's from two, 2002, by the way. It says AFC champions. Okay. Super Bowl 35. So this, is, this was probably made before they even won the Super Bowl because why would you – Yes. Why would you have an AFC Champions T-shirt when you could have a Super Bowl Champions yeah. T-shirt? Yeah. I don't think that font is still in use either on top. <laughs> it's like like the comic says. I don't even know what. They're yeah, it's definitely a knockoff. It looks like a girl's uh, hand. Right, right. That is not official yeah. merchandise. That was sold by a street vendor. I'm guessing. I have no idea. Okay. I found it in the bottom of my Ravens drawer because it's so, got the Super Bowl logo on it. It does. Yeah. It's and so uh, you attribute the Ravens' success so far to you wearing that stupid shirt. So far, this is my Purple Friday shirt. Yeah. I have to wear it this Friday again. Yeah. Because of the success it's bringing us so far being 2-0. and All right. And now, this one. Oh, here we go. This one's more it's, relevant. It's, it's, showing, it's showing Telephone. <laughs> this is a regulation Nike Ed Reed Super Bowl uh, 47 jersey. Okay. I this got is the real deal. 
Nike tag on field, whatever. Yeah. I got the Ray Lewis yeah, version, and I, and I got Haloti Nada. Yeah, we all got them. I think yeah. we all bought them that week. Well, that's yeah. that's when you buy a jersey. is exactly. Super Bowl week. Yeah. So anyway, I can't wait to get my Orioles World Series jersey yeah, too. We need to get back yeah. to that yeah. conversation. Yeah. Right, and this that and for my grandchild at the same time. On Sunday again, because it's good luck. Yeah. I, I, I have to wear this jersey now until the Ravens lose. Okay. Do you guys do anything like that, or is this just me? It's just you. Uh, no, we we used to. Yeah. I, you know, we we did. We used to watch every game together. We used to. Yeah. So we used to and watch. You guys had that fight. Right. <laughs> no, we watched every game together. Um, Down here would, in Josh's basement. Right, and we would do things where we would switch offense and defensive jerseys. Yeah, to Joe Flacco and your and your Ray um, Lewis, depending on offense or defense. Matt, Matt would have to get there ahead of time to do the Ray Lewis dance before. I get everyone, I get everyone pumped <laughs> up. Any dogs in the house? And uh, the the thing is, it worked. And we went to the Super Bowl. We had our, our seats that we always sat in. Yeah, yeah we had our side seats where yeah. we couldn't move unless yeah. the Ravens were really struggling at yeah. halftime. We would rotate. Seats. But that was was that like a winning streak thing though? Because like once they lose, then the the, the superstition's broken. No, superstitions continue even through the loss. If the Ravens I, lose the Jaguars, I'm not wearing that shirt on Purple Friday, and I'm not wearing the Ed Reed jersey anymore. You see, I feel Sundays. a little bit the opposite. We we did that until they won the Super Bowl. Right. And then we thought we could back off a little bit. Right. We backed right. off. Mission once. accomplished. Yeah, right. that's true. Right. We went to the Super Bowl. We watched it together. Yeah. It was. We were done. Apparently, that's what the franchise did too, because they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then we're, we're, we're done here. We're done here. We're done. We won enough. We bought ourselves about eight years of goodwill. Yeah. Um. Right. One problem I'm encountering, though, is I got a text message from uh, the music guy at our church earlier last week saying, hey, can you substitute for me on Sunday? Sure. I say, sure, why not? Yeah. I, I, I get paid. It's a, it's a nice gig. And then I look at the schedule, and this Sunday is the London game. Yep. They're playing uh, at 930 930 game. Yep, I've been looking at the same schedule. So here's a question. Do I wear the Ed Reed jersey in front of church while I'm playing the piano for the worship service it, on Sunday morning? It depends. How good are you at playing the piano? With your iPhone sitting up on the, on the piano <laughs> for the game on. Pretty good. I'd say I'm pretty good Because I know that on Sunday I have to run sound in church, and I'll have the iPad and my phone both on the little uh, podium while where I'm running sound. Would it look weird if I have, like, a shirt and tie on top of the Ed Reed football jersey? <laughs> I, I don't you, like this you, discussion. you got to do whatever works. I don't like this discussion at all because when you're talking about superstitions, you're talking about some type of if you wear a certain jersey, some higher power will look down right. and bless your football team. <laughs> True. Now you're messing you're with that it. higher power right. by yeah. by wearing a, a jersey in, into, into the house of God. Right. You're, yeah, yeah. you're, you're messing, messing with things here that I'm not sure you should be messing right. with. You can't make superstitions <laughs> and religion. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I got to figure something out. I, in hindsight, I didn't realize this week was the, the London game when I agreed you know, a substitute, and so uh, I kind of stuck now. I think as a special, since you're in charge of the music this week, you need to get the choir to all wear purple robes that look like your jersey, so then you're not the only one up there. I'll get right on that. <laughs> I, I'll have to start with forming a choir that doesn't exist right now, but uh, I'm looking forward to Sunday, though. I mean, I'm going to – you're right. I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to DVR it, or I'm just, just going to cheat during church. I'm I don't a, know. I'm going to cheat during church. <laughs> but I, I don't understand a 930 start. You would think you'd want to keep it on East Coast time so that the players are used to that time. And, like, a 1 p.m. start in East Coast is only, like, 6 p.m. London time. Yeah. Like, 
Is London different? Do they not like primetime games? Can, can, Are can there not a, lights in the stadium? Can I make a dumb co- co- comment? I don't understand why the NFL, in general, do, do, doesn't stagger the start times like it's March Madness or something. Have a have a 12 o'clock start, a 12.30 start, a 12.45 start? Well, they do. They do Thursdays and Sundays and yeah, sometimes but Saturdays. But Sunday night, every game starts at 1. Right. And then once you get to 4 o'clock, there's like seven games all coming yeah. at the end, and you can't watch them all at once. It's you got the red zone channel, though. Right. It's, well. it's all part of their... I don't know. They're marketing. I guess they don't think they can sustain three prime, three national games or four national games a Sunday. It would have to be at that point. This Sunday we have four national games. I don't know. Part of me wishes they would have just lost the first two weeks, and then I wouldn't care about missing <laughs> the game. <laughs> Get your hopes up and, and then, yeah, yeah, then right. crush them. Oh yeah. man, I'm yeah. looking forward to it though. Well, now, if you remember, right before Section 336 started, because uh, we started a little bit after the Super Bowl. Matt and I made a video about our superstitions and how we screwed up every other year, but this year we got the superstitions right, and that's how the Ravens got to the Super Bowl. It hasn't worked for the Orioles. That's right. When did we start this? We started this 20, uh, March of 2013. A few months after the Super Bowl. And the Ravens won the Super I Bowl in 2012? February of 2012? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Then maybe we started a year after? I don't know. We started the, the March after the Orioles made the playoffs. After 14 years okay. of garbage baseball. Yeah, all right. To loop us back into baseball conversation. <laughs> that's good, because that's enough football talk. Now we're in the midst of garbage baseball right. once again. Right. Go to Ken McCusick's <laughs> podcast if you want more Ravens talk. Oh, my Film gosh. study. Josh spends half Ken of McCusick. our podcast plugging Ken McCusick's pl- podcast. Hey, hey <laughs> I, 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 I go to where the money is. Yeah. Not that there's money over there either. Well. But it is football season. All right, I went. So can we talk back to the Orioles? Yes. All right. I'm going to ask Adam Poe about some of these 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 uh, young players. But before we get there, I got this show. The past few weeks has become a cathartic experience for me. <laughs> As the Orioles continue to suck, I I can come on here and kind of express my frustrations. So I have. Um, here's my recent frustration with the Orioles. I feel like I'm tired of people talking about the Orioles, and I don't like how I put a poll up on my Twitter today. It said, "Whose fault is it that the Orioles are not making the playoffs?" People hate to do this. People have to throw out. Specific names, but I did. I threw out what, a few specific names. Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter, Chris Davis. Those some of your options. Yeah, and, and Mark Trumbo is the only one that uh, okay. that, that that you left off. And and I always say that people who follow me on Twitter are more intelligent than the average person on they're, Twitter. They're smarter than the Facebook people. Yeah, and there's they're they're smarter than some other Twitter accounts out there because zero percent. Look at the vote. Zero percent. But Buck Showalter. So, okay. so good yes. for them. I don't think anyone thinks Buck Showalter. I I saw some people are making comments about Buck Showalter should be fired. I appreciate those people in the sense that, first of all, it's crazy. You shouldn't fire Buck Showalter. That's an insane idea. But I appreciate in the sense that here's what you're saying. You're saying fire Buck Showalter. You're saying this team is good enough, has the talent to win, but they're not winning. And often when you have a team that has the talent to win, but they're not winning, you play the manager. And from that perspective, I think you're spot on. Let's think about this team for a second. You have Tim Beckham, who since he's been here has been on a different world playing baseball. You have, speaking of different worlds, Manny Machado, one of the greatest baseball players on the planet. Everyone agrees. You have Jonathan Scope, one of the best second basemen in baseball, having a, a huge year. You have Adam Jones, who people thought, oh, maybe this is the year he has a, a decline and starts to, starts to go down, but had another good year from Adam Jones, Mr. Consistency. You also have Juan Castillo, who's exceeding all expectations. You have a really, you have Trey Mancini, uh, who was who was surpassing all of our expectations? So this team, 
we talked about the dark ages and all those, you know, 15 years of sure. losing seasons. This team has more talent than any of those dark ages teams. But I don't I didn't hear you name any pitchers. Oh, well let, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the pitchers for a second. We have a solid bullpen. Zach Britton, a, a couple months ago, I would say I would have said he's the best closer in baseball. Now I'll say he's one of the best. Sure, um, still one of the best. Yeah, we we still have great arms in there and Givens and right. Brock. We also have Castro. two Castro. Uh, we also have two uh, really good young starting pitchers in Dylan Bundy, who's pitching t- tonight, who's pitching really well this year. I think everyone has to agree. I know he's had a couple hiccups, but overall, Dylan Bundy's had a really Solid year. Sure. Kevin Gossman, another really solid year. Solid year? I think a solid year. He got off to a rough start, rough but, a, start. But, a, but, a, but a solid He's year. Um, and, and then some other guys have struggled. But my, my point is this team had enough talent to win. Now, we don't have the talent of the Red Sox. We don't have the talent of the Indians or the Astros. But enough. I, I, I can't look at this team and say the Twins are better than us or, 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 the, or, the, or the, even the um, – uh, the Angels are better yeah. than us, or the Rangers are better than us. And, and so I, I look at this talent, and I think, okay, so what went wrong? And, and in my mind, there, there's four guys. Four guys, and it's their fault. Okay. Four guys, it's their fault. I'm depressed in September. Four guys, I'm be born in October, and it's their fault. Four guys, uh, it's their fault that we get less listens on the podcast because when the Orioles lose, we get li- less listens when the Orioles win. So it's because there's four guys, there's 200 less people with uh, who are listening to our podcast right now, and it's these guys' fault. So it's a little personal here. All right. These four guys. Money out of my pocket. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the first guy is, is Mark Trumbo. Okay. Mark Trumbo has been an absolute – he's been terrible. Disappointment, yes. Disappointment does not cover. He was the big offseason move was to get Mark Trumbo. You want to talk about this uh, fun stat that I would love to talk about in here called, called war? Um, if you look at war, Mark Trumbo has a worse war than J.J. Hardy. Mark, Mark Trumbo is dead last on our team, negative .9 in war. Great. Let's put him in right field. A replacement-level player, by definition, is better than Mark Trumbo. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we would have been better off with with um, Gentry, Austin Ricker, Hayes Austin coming Hayes. up from single A and playing every day from single A up to the majors. We've been better off with him than we would have been with Mark Trumbo. And we paid Mark Trumbo, what, $11 million this year to be awful. And he played the entire year. And how is it? How is it that in September you have expanded rosters, we got like 30 outfitters on the team, and I, he was still out there in right field for a while. How that, how that is possible blows my mind. So Mark, it's Mark Trumbo's fault. The, the second guy who's fought it is, 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 is Chris Davis. This is a guy who's making 11% of our salary. We, we got to talk about money because, I mean, he signed the big contract. And when you sign the big contract, there's a level of responsibility there. Um, not, to, not, not to be 11% of our offense, but to be better that, than he has been. Um, if you want to go back to, 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 to the war number again, which kind of encapsulates his defense and his offense, his base running, 0. 0.3. Uh, his, his war this year is 0. 0.3. It's terrible. <laughs> I just breathe. <laughs> the third guy, um, uh, and you know what? I want to give Chris Davis a hard time, and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe the whole conversation about Chris Davis should be divorced from his contract, but I just can't do it. Uh, the other guy is um, on the pitching staff. Um, our veteran, who was supposed to be, who in the past has been our opening day starter, was supposed to be kind of our best guy, veteran leader, uh, uh, who who was supposed to be a top of the rotation guy. With an ERA, I want to get this number right. It's over seven, but I want to get the right number over seven. Uh, an ERA of 7.66. Again, all our starting pitchers, he's last in war. He has a worse war than Vidal Nuno. He is last on the team in, 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 in pitching war with negative 
Chris Tillman, of course, I'm talking about. So here's a guy who's supposed to be a veteran leader. Maybe you could argue, okay, Kevin Gossman or Dylan Bundy has more ta- ta- talent. But if Chris, if Chris Tillman pitched half of what he pitched the past couple years, what, he has one, year, one, one win this year? In a contract year, right? Yeah. I mean, just, just think about it. If Chris Tillman, just Chris Tillman alone, has a decent year, we're probably looking at a playoff team. Sure. And so you take, and the other guy, the, the fourth guy, I'm doing, I'm going Buck Showalter. Because his, his, his just annoying persistence of putting Chris, uh, Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo, I call him Chris Trumbo, in the lineup every day to bat, what, fifth and sixth or sixth and seventh, whatever it is, but back-to-back to kill a rally over and over again to give Chris Tillman start after start after start when he continued to struggle. Um, part of this, I think, is on Buckshell Walter for his inability to innovate and change based on more recent data. And so those four guys, if you change, especially those three players, because at the end of the day, the players win, the players lose. If those three players don't even have – I'm not talking about career years. Just have average years. If those three players have average years for them, this team easy is in the playoffs. So my issue is this is not a talent issue. This is not this team is devoid of talent. This is a couple key contributors, veterans, highly paid veterans who are underperforming, and that's why, that's why this team's losing because of those guys. I didn't hear you say Peter Angelos. I know I didn't mention Peter Angelos. I didn't mention the fact that he's paying our salaries on this team is almost two hundred million dollars. Right. So I don't think that's right. the issue. That, that he's not being cheap. Yeah. Um, um, you got, what, what, about, what, what, what about, do you guys think? What about, those four guys. What about Dan Duquette for not going after pitching? Well, again. Or do, are you saying pitching would have been okay if Tillman did okay? Well, this is because this is the argument, and Dan Duquette, I, I could see why you would say that. Um, but my argument against Dan Duquette is at the beginning of the season, I said this is a. Uh, 89 to 91 yeah, team yeah. that can we make all the thought playoffs. This was a good team. So all of a sudden, I can't go with 180 and say, no, this team doesn't have enough talent. When at the beginning of the season, I thought they did have enough talent. And if sure. those players perform, that those players that um, uh, uh, Dan Duquette has worked to acquire or to keep, if those players perform to the level they're capable of, we're not even having this discussion. I so, get that. But what about the fact that though you and I expected big things from the Orioles, that going into the season, national baseball writers who are paid to cover baseball said the Orioles would not have a good year. Since 2012. And, right. And we've exceeded those expectations so all, every, year, every year. Yeah. Right. Who, who's got the most wins since 2012? Uh, is it, it used to be, in the American League, it used to be the Orioles. I was, I trying, know, I was trying to I catch know, somebody you. Somebody I was trying to catch you. The Yankees passed us with their win on Saturday, <laughs> but then we won on Sunday, so I don't know if we passed them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but... And, I don't know. It could be the Orioles again. I was just trying to mix you up. Yeah, but I'm just – I think so many times you talk about generally, oh, the team is not talented enough. I don't think it's true. I think we have the talent. Um, and I think it's, it's four players who have had terrible years, and, and they have, cost us, and they have co- cost us a chance to make the playoffs. I think that when you look at uh, the starting pitching is just – is really the thing that, that's cost the Orioles because every other aspect of the team has been really good. I, I don't think the team is as good defensively as they were when this run started five years ago because uh, at that point, Hardy was a really good defensive shortstop, and you can argue that other people that have gotten a little bit older were more rangy and such. But, uh, but uh, when the Orioles, if you look back, they, they've been consistently such an incredible power-hitting team over this run. And uh, they continue to bring up players that even uh, bring more of that type of game, like Scope and, and then, of course, now uh, Mancini. And, and I think Hayes is another one along that line. 
But uh, the problem is that when you look at like a 2014 season, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I feel like they were right in the middle of the pack as far as starting pitching ERA. Yeah. And I mean, they might have been 12th or 14th. It was right in the middle of the pack. They're having a historically bad starting pitching ERA team. And it's just demoralizing because they're a team, I think because of their bullpen being really good, uh, that wins more close games than they lose. But they're just not in enough close games. Yeah, that, that was that the month of June to, where, where it was, what was it, however many games in a row giving up at least five runs? Yeah. Where they set that record? That's what put this team to yeah. bed. Yeah, and Adam Paul's exactly right. Like, this is a team that needs to be in the middle of pitching. Like, 15 is fine. But sitting at 28, that's not going to get it done. Right, because if you're – I mean, just think about it. Just If you're losing 4-2 to two and your pitcher leaves in the top of the sixth inning – and you get your bullpen into the game, well, the Orioles, with their offense and such a quick strike ability, they're right in that game. But there's just so many games. They have got to be, in the American League, uh, atop the list of games where they are out of it immediately, where they are just down 7-1 to one in the third inning, and it's over. And there's just so many games like that, and, and it's just been too much for them to overcome. Yeah, and I... And and Bert, I know there's a lot of action in the chat room. I don't know if you want to. Oh, I'm watching it. Okay, you, is there anything worth saying out loud on this on this podcast? <laughs> is They're it mostly arguing about how many games they went to this year? <laughs> All right, fine. Well, if there's anything worth re- reading on the chat room, just just just. Hey, here's chime something in. Uh, All from right. Spencer. Dan Duquette is a big problem with this team. Pitching has been the biggest issue this year. Coming off the wild card loss last year, you would have thought we'd be back in the running. I, I agree with that because it's, it, we brought back virtually the same team, even the the same starting rotation, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except Tillman starting off the season hurt. Here's the here's the thing: pitching is so uh, you can never have enough pitching. You even see teams that are dominant in pitching and they go out and get more pitching. Yeah. You know. Uh, so what, what's tricky with the Orioles is, and this is something that Dan Duquette has done in his entire time here. The Orioles have literally been a buyer at the trade deadline now, and this year they were again a buyer. Yeah. They've been a buyer for six consecutive seasons. And because of that, the, the players that other teams are buying are the Orioles minor league pitchers, yeah. including this year. Beckham's been great, but the Orioles traded away a young, promising arm named Tobias Myers, and maybe in four or five years we might say, oh, my goodness, he's in the major leagues. Yeah. Uh, so you look at uh, all of, of those um, – all of those trades, and it's it's taken away from the depth of the minor league pitching, and and with that, it, it's kind of hurt them because I think they built AAA this year with a bunch of guys they were hoping were ready to contribute if things went wrong. Yeah, and it yeah, wasn't just Nunez, that the big the Alec league, Ashers, right? The Gabriel Chris Noah struggled Chris early. Lee, Jason Mike Aquino, Wright. Mike Wright. So all of those guys, none of those guys were able uh, to basically fill that hole when when uh, the starting pitching, especially Tillman, because you kind of figured that Miley and, and Ubaldo would give you their, their fair share of struggles. But when Tillman was a shadow of himself, they just didn't have anybody to kind of take that mantle. Yeah, and all those guys that Duquette brought in, you hope that one of them might hit, but none of them hit. And, and I want to ask you about a couple guys. Yeah. Jason Aquino. Um, you've seen a lot more of him than, 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 than I have. He, I was surprised that when they brought up Austin Hayes, he was the guy that was put on, he, that's taken off the 40-man um, and, and DFA. And I was also surprised that no one else picked him up. He had one good start, I think, against the, the, the Brewers it was. He put up decent numbers, around 4 ERA with AAA. Decent year, left-handed starting pitcher. Right. It just seems like he's 20, I think 24, 25. 
it seems like that's the kind of guy you don't want to get a, you don't want to like get away a young left-handed starter with okay numbers you hope you can make that progress i was surprised he was removed from the 40 man is jason aquino are they is he not a guy the orioles see as a future starting pitcher yeah i, I don't think they do i mean that's just my my guess he's kind of a soft tossing left-hander of course um i know you guys have seen him pitch so it, yeah. it, um the thing about Aquino, and this is funny because in baseball now, but a nice secondary pitchers, yeah, a nice very good changeup. I've been actually impressed with what I what I've seen yeah, with Aquino. He he is when you look throughout his entire minor league career, a guy that just never wins. It's really yeah. unusual. Wins and losses, everyone says, they do not matter. I, I feel like obviously you're going to have games that are blown and games where you're helped out, but I, I really feel like. Uh, being a guy that is going to go out there and win, I mean, you're only you're you're only affecting your team once every five days, and it might not be your actual win loss record, but your your record in games you pitch, I think, does matter, and that's always something that's troubled me. When you look at um, Aquino's minor league numbers, uh, he lost and he lost big, and it's something about him that uh, a lot of organizations have have thought about him as a guy because of his pitchability because of his off-speed repertoire, to give him that opportunity, but he hasn't been able to grasp it yet. He might be a late bloomer. I mean, maybe yeah. in a few years uh, he'll be a guy that's, that's in a big league rotation, but, um, uh, but I, I don't think he's a big prospect. That, that's an interesting thought that we do talk about the win-loss record and how it's meaningless, how it's handed out. But if you're really just trying to keep track of what games do the, do, does the team win with you on the mound, is a good way to kind of see what's your impact. Yeah, I, I would assume uh, that, uh, you know, with Dylan Bundy uh, this year, I know he's 13-9 and nine coming into today's start, but I would assume that uh, he has a winning record in his starts. And if you look at everyone, I mean, Chris Tillman, uh, his starts as far as his record, uh, or the Orioles record that is in games that Tillman has started in years past, that he was probably our number one pitcher. Yeah. And, and now, boy, I mean, the, the record in Tillman starts – uh, it's almost a surefire loss this year, so yeah. it's it's really yeah. tricky. But uh, it's it's about projectability, uh, and uh, the Orioles have hung on and they've given their top prospect pitchers uh, the big opportunity. Meaning, you know, the Bundys and the Gosmans and the Mattises. Zach Britton was a third round pick. Uh, you know, you're going to see it. Uh, Hunter Harvey has looked really good, even though I've never seen him pitch before personally. Oh, really? But he's had a great. Uh, resurgence coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's got like a 15, uh, 15 strikeout rate, like 15 strikeouts per nine innings. Yeah. He's done small sample and, size. And, no. uh, small sample size. And then, small sample size. And then you've got it where uh, D.L. Hall is, is this new guy, which a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, scouts uh, thought he was going to go a little bit earlier, so that's a good yeah. sign. But, 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 Adam, let me ask you a question about D.L. Hall. I was thinking about him because now he's our top-rated pitching prospect. Sure. And I feel like every – I think last year was Cody Sedlock. Right. Every year there's someone – who's that top pitching prospect, then the next year he's somewhere in the mid-teens, right, right it, it, for the right. team in, 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 in the prospect right rankings. Um, what is it about? I don't even know. Like, What happened to, to Cody Sedlock? Is he still alive? I don't even know. Hunter Harvey. I was looking today. Hunter Harvey, I think this year he has 18 innings pitched or something, 18 innings pitched. Yeah. The most innings he's pitched since 2014. Right. Which is boggles my mind that well, the most right. 14 Well, it's like innings. a Dylan Bundy thing. It really so, is. So, so all these young pitchers start off real high, and then as they progress through the organization, they fall off, disappear, go away for three years. What is this? Is this, is this a going around everywhere, or is this an Orioles thing? 
Well, it, it does go around everywhere, but obviously the Orioles have not had success as far as developing pitching. Starting pitching is the better way of putting it uh, in the major leagues. The thing that's hurt them, in my opinion, is that they just have not been able to get that guy that is a solid four or five starter. And, you know, the one that hurts, I think, the most is, of course, you would say Arietta hurts so much, but he got such a big chance in Baltimore. The one that really hurts is Zach Davies. There's a lot of people that feel like Davies may not have been able to be uh, an excellent pitcher in the American League East. The fact that he's pitching in Milwaukee gives him, uh, has really aided him because he's not a big stuff guy, but he really, really controls his fastball well. And that was something that he always did. The Orioles gave him good money as a high school pick, so he kind of he progressed slowly one year at a time everywhere. Uh, but obviously he's having a phenomenal season this year. And if you put Davies in the Orioles' rotation, I don't know if he wins 17 games, but, I mean, the Orioles are probably five to ten games better. And, yeah. and we're, He's better we're than watching. what we're throwing out there. Right. Well, and, yeah, and, and the right. Orioles are, are right there. I mean, they're, they're going to be right there, yeah, not, five, not only to be in the wild card. You're on the edge. Yeah, I mean, they, fighting. They, they'd probably not only be right on the wild card hunt, but if you have Davies in this rotation, uh, you're probably, you know, if, if Parker Bridwell would have figured it out, uh, per se, and you've got Davies and Bridwell. No, I don't want to go down this road. It's, it's going to be real depressing. But you understand what I'm saying. But yeah, I I mean, absolutely. And that's what other teams are doing. Uh, and, um, and then you could even look at it financially as well, where uh, if you're able to spend some money on, if you're able to spend the Trumbo money because you've got Mancini that's ready to go, if you're able to spend that on another pitcher, well, maybe that guy fills the void and you win an extra three or four games. Yeah. So, yeah. so right now, uh, there's an interesting question. Right now, next year, sure. next year, our starting rotation is going to be Kevin Gossman, Dylan Bundy, question marks. Maybe we speculate Miguel Castro. And, right. and Wade Miley would be a cheap fifth guy to bring in. $12 million, if you call that cheap. As far as Yikes. starting pitching, it's, I mean, unless you're going to bring up another guy from the minors. So, 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 so like the question a, a, is: Can Castro do so, it? So, it's a real tough question, right? Well, well I'm counting Miguel Castro. I still okay. only got three guys. If you have My- Miley, I'm still only counting four four guys, and that's if you want to pay twelve million dollars from for, My- for Miley, which I think is a little outrageous. So, the question is: um, We'll probably sign somebody, right? But is there anyone in the farm system now, a starting pitcher that could be on the 2018? Baltimore Orioles starting pitching staff. Yes, I, I think that I'd like to see two guys that were with Bowie this year get a look in spring training. Uh, one, and I think there's a good chance that both are put on the 40-man really? roster okay. here this offseason. Okay. I thought the answer would be no. Because, okay, I'm excited already. Because they're both players that were drafted in 2014, so they uh, would be available to the Rule 5 draft okay. this year. One is David Hess, who's been a very up-and-down pitcher uh, in his time with the Bay Sox. But, uh, you know, they talk about it sometimes in football. They say that some guys draft off watching players' highlights because they want to see what a guy is at his best. Yeah, that that potential. Uh, Yeah, yeah. the potential. So Hess is a guy that really brings a lot of potential. The upside is that when Hess has been at his best, he's been dominant at uh, up to the double a level in baseball. At the end of the 2015 season, he was he was outstanding. And, and then here the last two months of this 2017 campaign, after a pretty good start to the year as well, he wasn't a poor pitcher by any means the first half of the year. But the last two months, 
He's worked to a sub two and a half ERA. He was the Bay Sox best pitcher down the stretch. And he's got this stuff. Uh, it, um, Brian Graham always, who's the Orioles farm director, always compared his stuff to Bud Norris coming up. So he's a guy that uh, – boy, yeah. But, My ears perked up. Yeah, but, but Hess is – Hess is – uh, he's the right kind of mindset. I, I, I think that um, that the problem is that Hess is a fly ball pitcher, and that can really hurt you. He's not his stuff does not sink. Uh, he he uh, threw a better changeup this year that really helped him. I think he's starting. He used to just throw a really slow curveball. Now he's throwing a, a harder slider. That's it's not a hard slider, but it's in the low 80s. And then he's got a fastball that will touch the mid 90s. So okay. as far as consistent fastball speed. Hess is the hardest thrower, you know, within the organization. So that, there's there's one right there. I think Lucas Long is is kind of a wild card. Yeah, I saw he had some good numbers last year. He had a great great start to the season. He faded a little bit late, but uh, he's the opposite of Hess in that he's a sinker balling pitcher. So his best pitches is two seam fastball, and this year he started throwing a cutter, and that really helped make his two seam fastball even better. His velocity even jumped a little bit this year, so that was that's exciting to see. He's not a big, uh, you know, overpowering dominant pitcher, but uh, but he's somebody to keep an eye on. And then a guy named Jeffrey Ramirez, which is yeah, spelled Y E F, but it's it's like like <laughs> Zsa Zsa Gabor Jeffrey. Uh, so uh, Ramirez is interesting. He got a ton of wins, right? Something like fourteen ton of wins. wins. He yeah. finished the year fifteen and three. Fifteen and three. That's uh, spending impressive. the majority of the season in the Yankees organization, pitching yeah. for the best team in the Eastern League. But Ramirez is a guy who throws a ton of off-speed pitches. So that is one of the unique things. I mean, how many starters throw like 40% fastballs right. in Major League Baseball? I don't that, know. That doesn't sound like you something know. that can work in the majors. Exactly. That and sounds that, like a, a veteran pitcher who that, loses his fastball. Right. It, sounds, it sounds like a knuckleballer in the world. In, yeah. Now he'll, he'll, he'll be 92, 93 miles an hour. So it's not like he doesn't have the velocity he to get there. On, but he just He lives and dies with his changeup. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how – how they work with him. So there are some guys, there's no doubt about it, but it's not, it's not the, uh, those aren't the top prospects. There's the no Orioles one banging on the door. Yeah. That's we, the, the Orioles, you know, Hayes has just been incredible, yeah. but the Orioles undoubtedly would have loved for it to be, you love to have any of your guys jump up and be there's, there. He was the third round pick. There's no one else in the third round of the 2016 draft out of the 30 teams that has had, uh, a jump like Austin Hayes, right. but in the same regard, the Orioles would have loved for one of their pitchers to be that guy, you know. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, I think they took 16 out of the first 18 guys in that draft were pitchers, and 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 those guys, none and of them all, have jumped out. They're all in single A or lower, right? Is that just a, yes, yes, yes yeah. they all are. Yeah, right. Not all, one pitcher from the 2016 draft has made it to Bowie yet. They, right. Many will next year, though. Yeah, it yeah. seems like every pitcher I hear in the Orioles farm system that people are getting excited about are all at that single level, single A level. Um, how's the step from single A to double A in pitching? Is that a big step? Like they always talk about the step to double A for baseball players is the big step, and right. double to the majors isn't as big as single to double. I, I assume it's the same for pitchers, or is pitchers is it each level basically a, a, a big step? It is a, a major, major jump. I, I think that the, the jump to the major leagues is by far the hardest, but in the minor leagues, the jump to double A is the big stepping stone. And for pitchers, one of the reasons why is that, you know, in single A, even in Frederick, you're just not going to see the veteran ball players you'll see are guys that may have played a little bit at double A and or been good double-a players now they're at the end back into their career and they've gone down a level 
uh, in Double A, uh, what you're seeing, you're, you're seeing former big league ball players. Uh, there's a lot of guys that have played in the bigs. Even Richmond, they were the last place team uh, in our league this year, as far as in the the division the Bay Sox are in the West. And uh, two of their hitters were big league, you know, big league guys in the middle of their order at the end of the year. So. Um, so that is uh, a big, big difference. So you're, you're facing experience. Yes, you're going to face some guys with experience. And l- usually uh, the best prospects in the game, it doesn't take them that long to get to double A. If you're a dominant player from the get-go, you can get to double A pretty quickly. But then usually you spend quite a bit of time at double A. So uh, when you look at a lot of these uh, Orioles players throughout the years, like Machado and Scope and and Hayes and Mancini, they played more games at AA than at any other level. Okay. So you're not only facing for the first time guys that made the big leagues and are kind of coming down like the 28, 29-year-old uh, veterans, but you're also facing uh, more than likely the, the, the cream of the crop as far as other teams' prospects. Right. Yeah, the real good prospects tend to skip often that AAA step and just go AA to, to the majors. I want to ask you about one more pitcher before we move on from this depressing topic of pitchers. Um <laughs> Tanner Scott, he right. got the call up. Yeah, left-handed pitcher, chucking at 100 miles per hour. How cool is this? How close? But he throws he throws a lot of balls. Sure. And, you, and he pitched all year at Bowie, right? So you got a chance to to, oh, no to watch him yet? Uh, to watch him a lot. Um, how close is he to being? I know we we know he has the stuff of a major leaguer. How close is he, control wise, secondary pitches wise, to being a guy the Orioles and, can rely on? And the has that and has that improved this year? Yeah, so I, I still think he's got got some work to do. But okay. in the same regard, he um, I think what Josh says is even more important because uh, he just he's improved so greatly this season, and it's a great sign to see. Uh, Kevin Gosman, a lot of times with Gosman, especially when he's struggling, it's like golly, how is he throwing so hard? And and guys just see the ball and they hit yeah you know? yeah you're like, like got good stuff throwing 97 right, be, and, and sometimes it works sometimes and it then you see like koji uehara you know throw 87 and it like guys are like fouling yeah. it they're behind it you're like what is going on there there is something about that and one the thing that stood out to me obviously tanner scott had better control his slider was much better this season and just a dominant pitch but the the thing that he taught in, in an interview I did with him early in the season, he said he worked with Alan Mills uh, going into the offseason. Mills said, you need to work on hiding your fastball better. Mm-hmm. Because last season we would talk about, golly, this guy's throwing 99 miles an hour, and people are just smoking it right up the middle. This is crazy, yeah. you know. But, um, but in the same regard, so what he's done this year uh, is he's kind of kept his front shoulder closed more. He's been able to hide the baseball a little bit better. And uh, his control in his fastball has gotten better. He still walked more guys than he allowed hits this year, which is crazy. He's a lefty, but he gets both righties and lefties out. They they both hit below 200 against him. And I know he started at Bowie, but it was just for the innings. Isn't that right? I mean, he's not projected to be a starter for the Orioles. I don't see that. Yeah. I, I, there was some talk for a week or two uh, that, oh, he's starting to throw a changeup, and he did throw that a little bit later in the season. They tried to stretch him out a little bit, then they took him back. He got a blister on his middle finger and missed three weeks. And there were lots of blisters in baseball this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a bunch of snowflakes out there playing baseball now. <laughs> you know, little blisters. Um, that's true. The thing with Tanner Scott is that he's the only pitcher on the base Sox that would really make opposing hitters at times look foolish. Yeah. Just look like they had absolutely no chance. So is he like a he Tommy Hunter style? Is that the, the thought process that he'll be a late 
reliever coming in with just power. Yes, I think when, he's when a the guy. Are, are worn down. I think he's a guy that uh, just comes in and blows smoke for an inning, and and you hope that he can be in the mold of of one of these top relief pitchers. In the You're game. Chapman, Chapman left or the, power pitching. Yeah, yeah. exactly because. Uh, with with the base Sox, he was consistently fastball 96 to 98 miles an hour, touching 100. His first pitch with Bowie late in 2016 was 101 miles an hour. And when and once again, we were talking about it a little bit right. before, but Your gun it, just, broken. it looks different. Yeah, right. yeah, and and that's interesting about hiding the shoulder. That might work against most teams, but if he's playing the Red Sox, hiding the shoulder won't work about the fastball because they got the eye watch, so they'll be able <laughs> yeah. to tell if fastball's right. coming. Well, yeah, I no know, matter but, what. but that's the thing. When you throw it like he does, uh, it you doesn't no really time. matter. Sometimes, what, even if you know it's coming, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Yeah. Is it called the eye watch? No, it's the Apple Watch, but I was just letting him slide. <laughs> I was just letting him go. Is it not called the eye watch? I thought it was the eye watch. No, it, Why it is, isn't it called the eye watch? It, it's the Apple Watch. Oh, they should call it the eye watch. But, uh, again, <laughs> I watch you sleep. When, when are we, when are we going to get Alan Mills on this podcast? Because I'm pretty sure he could make us a better podcast with the amount of praise everyone gives him for making yeah, everyone, them better everyone ball loves players. Alan Mills. It's amazing Every, how people talk about Mills him. Is a, he's a winner. You know, that, that's one of the things because I just find it in, in baseball, uh, once again, it's a lot of the game of baseball is just having the want to go out there and win a ball game and the want and the effort. And, and my favorite managers and coaches I've been around uh, are, are usually jokesters, pranksters, and, and they are guys that have a hunger to bring that, and they make it they make it fun for the players, so that when the players are out in batting practice, it's very loose. But in the same regard, those guys are getting their work in, and they end up working harder uh, than than other uh, teams do. And I still remember we, we were about to go to the playoffs in 2015, and I'm like, where are where's our relievers or where are all our pitchers? I, I thought they were supposed to be doing stretch. We were playing in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And I look up and famously uh, the ballpark in Altoona has a roller coaster behind the right field wall. And there's Alan because Mills yeah. in the back cart of the roller coaster <laughs> with our entire pitching staff riding the roller coaster, you know, <laughs> That's a few hours before a game. So I, so he just, uh, people love it. Uh, he, he's uh, one of the great things I think for Mills is uh, that he really is able to build confidence in you as a player. Yeah. And he's a great guy one-on-one, and he's a guy that always keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Uh, all right, I want to switch away from pitching a little bit here. Um, I would, here here's what I was hoping for, and, and you had the chance. While, while we're stuck here watching Trey Mancini try, try to learn how to play outfield right? and Mark Trumbo not play the outfield, though play an outfield position, um, while we were watching that, you were watching one of the most exciting young outfields in, in all of the minor leagues. And what I was hoping for, I wanted this, and, and they called Austin Hayes up, and so now he's on the 40-man. And so now I think Austin Hayes going into next year, and you might disagree, but I think going into next year has a bit of an advantage for that right field job because sure. he's already on the 40-man. I would have liked to see in spring training just have these young players go, go at it for the starting right, right, right field job. Have DJ Stewart, Stewart Cedric Mullins, uh, Anthony Santander, um, and, and, and Austin Hayes uh, four really good young outfielders go at it for that right field p- position. Um, from your perspective, Adam, is is Austin Hayes out of those guys? Is he does he seem to be the most ready guy for the major leagues? Yeah, I think so. Oh, really? I think so. And, and he really profiles probably as a right fielder and a really really good uh, defensive right fielder more than any of the other positions oh, really? because okay. he's got a okay. very good arm. He can also run, so he's a very quick ball player. 
and uh, and he's an aggressive player. He just plays 100 uh, percent with so much heart and effort. So that's a lot of fun. And obviously, when you have a season like this, like he did, I mean, it's one of the top three seasons an Orioles minor leaguer has had uh, in, in the last decade. Uh, so I've been uh, calling Orioles minor league baseball since 2007. And uh, Matt Wieters was incredible in 2008, but he was a top five pick in the draft. It was kind of almost expected, and that made him the number one prospect in all of baseball. Yeah. Mancini came out of nowhere and, and was an absolutely dominant player to win the Eastern League batting title in 2015 and hit for power. And uh, Hayes, uh, you know, Hayes, it's just how few games that he played uh, in pro baseball is, is really what's remarkable uh, to be a guy that was a third-round pick because he's only 22 years old, and he was injured for half of the season in yeah. Aberdeen last year. So for him to come on That's remarkable. And, and hit uh, right around 330, so he was the he won the Orioles minor league batting title. He basically won the Orioles minor league triple crown this year yeah. uh, with 32 home runs, 95 RBIs. I mean, it was it was uh, something to watch. Yeah, that's really impressive. It's, I'm okay. Go I was ahead, just going to say, is that something that we should be somewhat concerned about that he doesn't have that proven track record, or do we just ride with it that? He surprised us. He's now continuing it. He's hitting this week that he's been uh, – I guess he's been up two weeks now, sure. but he's hitting the ball in the majors. So we just go with it, and, hey, it works. It works and, for and, Trey Mancini. And, and he if, came and, out of nowhere. And if I can add to that and throw a different Nate, Nate, Nate name at you to, for a comparison's sake, DJ Stewart's a guy who had really good numbers this year. Sure. And a guy who slowly kind of upped the system, struggled, but progressed, 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 and kind of developed, it feels like, into this player that seems to be pretty close to, ma- to major league ready. Um, Austin Hayes, opposite story, right? Um, see, I, I, I tend to be fully honest, partial to DJ Stewart because I like how he's developed over over several seasons. But then that's and he also of, gets on base and walks, which is sure, something the Orioles sure. could and, use every and now and then. And he steals. Well, yeah, yeah, right. he steals some too. And he's a friend of the show. How does he steal? He seems like a like a stocky guy. Yeah, how, he how runs did, much better than you think. So how does he steal? He had twenty bases, it, I think. So some guys are really you, you fast. You knock down the second baseman. You no, know, like Cedric Mullins is really fast, but uh, DJ Stewart's really quick. And so he's just at full speed, even though full speed is not Mullins full speed, but he's at full speed and has that quick twitch and he's there like that. Yeah. And and therefore it it aids him in stealing bases. I mean, he's at, and uh, it's just a feel. A lot of stealing bases is a feel because it's so close. But one of those things that was so fun about this season was that, and uh, Santander is definitely, Needs to be on that list. All four of these players are, are yeah, so. Santana different. was only in Bowie for a short time, but right. he was incredible. They're all <laughs> so different, uh, yeah. which which makes it a lot of fun. And uh, I think that uh, long term, uh, Hayes profiles as a right fielder, Mullins as a center fielder, and and Stewart as uh, as a good left fielder. And uh, Santander is is a guy that I didn't get to see as much, but boy, I mean. He's the biggest, most physical, uh, most imposing-looking ball player of that group. Oh, really? uh, you know, yeah. Mullins is, uh, and Hayes and Stort, they're, they're not really big guys. Santander's, uh, he's, he's, he's a big fella. And, uh, yeah. you can Austin tell, Hayes looks like a 22-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, looks yeah. what he, he looks what he is. And that's going to be interesting for the Orioles in the coming years as because of that Davis deal, they've got this logjam going on that that Davis deal, Trumbo deals, 
has then cl- pushed everyone to the outfield to then clog up the outfield. Which, but, that how do you make room? With well, these? here's how you make room: stop converting first basemen into left fielders. How about we start there, right? Right. right. And have outfielders play outfield. Right. But if you want that first baseman to not, to then play first base, you got Davis and Trumbo in the way now. It's yeah. interesting. These yeah. guys are commodities, so that that's the best way to look at it. It's you. The the biggest quandary per se. I mean, it's a good thing is that Mountcastle. He's probably going to be a big league level hitter uh, in the long term. And is he going to be a third baseman? You think? I, I doubt it. I doubt okay. it long term. Is that because Manny stays and they don't have a? Sl- well, that would be beautiful. <laughs> I think Mountcastle's throwing arm is is a big problem. His, his glove is is fine. Uh, he's not very rangy side to side. Oh, man. Are we looking um, at another left fielder here? Are we? Uh, but just it, it could corner be. Outfielder? I, I really think. And Jeff Arnold, uh, the voice of the keys, uh, cha- you know, he surprised me when he told me this because I was like. You know, we have all the, these great outfielders, and yeah. now Mountcastle looks like, you know, he might be an outfielder. Yeah, but get in line. Mountcastle led all of minor league baseball in doubles. He had 46 doubles this year. He also hit 18 home runs, and that was with struggling for a whole month in double A. So I, I just feel like he might be the kind of guy, he hits the ball so hard when he's on that in three or four years, he could develop into a prime power-hitting prospect. Uh, when he's he's 20 years old now, uh, I'm worried about what he's going to be when he's 24, 25, 26, and, and that's what it's all about with a right. guy like that. And I think there's a chance that he could be uh, have the bat to be a first baseman. He could hit for he might be a guy that hits 40 home runs in the major really, leagues, really, which that's, is which is remarkable. Yeah, because yeah, the Orioles need more home runs. Well, you never know that. I mean, no, the, the, I mean time will, time the will, thing is, you know. when you're talking about Mountcastle, it's like, oh my goodness, we have. Davis, Trumbo, Mancini, all we need is another first baseman. But when you think about him anchoring an Orioles lineup in five or six years, yeah, it's very different. Trumbo, after this year, has two, two, two more years on his deal. Right. At that yes. time, your boy Mountcastle will be, what, 24, 25? Well, you no, know, he's 20 right now. Oh, he's 20 yeah. now. So, so he'll be like so, 23, yeah. yeah. exactly. So, wow, yeah. Um, so he's so young, and, and that's a big thing. Chance Sisko uh, uh, came up as a 20-year-old to Bowie. Uh, Machado and now, Scope please tell did. me that Chance Sisko is going to stay catcher. He's not going to move to first base. Is he a left fielder? Well, right that's field? a big question. I mean, Sisko, if he's not a catcher, is a left fielder. There's no yeah. doubt about okay. it. Okay. Well, we have so a, we have enough word. of those. But the thing so the thing I catcher. noticed is that Sisko was rated around 100, let's say, in, in in minor league baseball as far as a prospect. And this season, he really jumped up. Yeah. Which to me says because it's hard for me to discern whether a guy has what it takes to be a catcher. And I had scouts from organizations tell me different things because I ask scouts, what, what do you think? Is he going to be able to be a big league catcher? Yeah. But, uh, but it's obvious to me that the, the majority of scouts now believe that in time he will be an adequate defensive catcher. Okay. He won't be as good of a defender, though, I don't think, as some of the players that we have seen, like a Caleb Joseph or Matt Wieters when he came up. But in the same regard, to me, his offensive style is very reminiscent to a Nick Markakis because – He's a guy that his line drives to all fields. Mm-hmm. He really works the count. Quality at bats, Even yeah. his personality. Markakis was kind of a shy, sometimes awkward yeah. kind of guy. Cisco is like that as well. So um, so it wouldn't surprise me uh, that he's a guy that is a 380 on base percentage guy that, that can hit 280, 290. And hits a lot of doubles. That he be, that's the kind of hitter that that he could be in the major leagues. Yeah, some exciting offensive prospects there. I was just looking at right right before the show. I was reading uh, an article about the the top ten hit hitters in the minors who jumped at the prospect. Level. Yeah, yeah. And it was and, and two Orioles were on there. Um, Chance Sisko and, Al- and Austin Hayes, guys who jumped up the most as hitters in in the prospect list. And in the article, 
they, they credited part of the jump up, the reason Cisco jumped up the prospect list, is because he solidified himself, at least in the article, as a defensive catcher. Yeah, there's no doubt, because yeah. this is a guy that, uh, in the Eastern League, once again, you know, when Mancini won the batting title, hitting better than 350 with 20 home runs and less than a full season in the Eastern League, that guy's going to be yeah. a pretty good major league hitter. Yeah. Austin Hayes is the same, absolutely dominated the Eastern League offensively. But uh, Cisco, I mean, he, you know, he's not a guy that jumps out a lot because he's not going to hit a ton of home. But he led the league in on-base percentage as a 21-year-old yeah. uh, on a, a team that really, really struggled in 2016. That's uh, that's a very good sign. He was finding a way to get on base, and it's something the Orioles order, uh, you know, has, has been talked about Absolutely. needs because, to be honest, Hayes is not that kind of player, and even Cedric Mullins is not that kind of player. Yeah. Well, isn't Cisco up with the up with the team now, right? Yes. I think he's on the bench. Yeah, he's so, had a couple of bats. Right, so they're yeah. trying to get him experience and get him around the major league players and stuff. Is he a guy who's ready next year to back up? It's a good question. It's all about his defense, 100%. Um, I, I think a lot of people feel that because Castillo's had such a good offensive season uh, that he might go somewhere else. He has that player option right, for he's got a million dollars option. or something like that. So, right. yeah. so you would think it's he could down. make more than $7 million. My my here's my guess, and I think a lot of people might not be 100% with this. Um, my guess is that uh, the Orioles will not go into 2018 with Caleb Joseph as, and Chance Cisco as their two top catchers. That's my guess. Um, I I think that they my I mean I, I and this is just speculation, but uh, my guess is that they want to see a little bit more defensively from Cisco. It's not that he can't be that, and it's not that he won't be that at some time next year, um, but he's still very young once again. I mean, he's 22 years old. So my guess is that Cisco will start next year in Norfolk and, and, and spend the majority of next year in Norfolk with the thought that, uh, that he could become an everyday big leaguer in the year following. Not to say he wouldn't play in the major leagues next year. Guy gets hurt, whatever happens. Uh, he exceeds expectations early, but but that that would be if I had to put money on it, that would be my guess. Right, and I guess a lot of it will have to do with that player option that Castillo, uh, what he chooses. If he's here, then obviously you're going to keep him. him yeah, because especially in this day and age, so C- C- Castillo does, does a couple of things really well. Hold on, let me just pause this conversation, to make sure. Bert Rody, are you still with us? I'm listening. All right. <laughs> um, just not talking. The things that C- Castillo d- does well, which is hit home runs. Um, and 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 what I, I I don't know. He's good yeah. at throwing down the second. Okay, throws yeah. down the second. Makes negative but, comments about the pitchers to the media when no one else is around. But no, but but all those the the stuff that, that the the nerds love. <laughs> no, there were a couple the, comments of his. This the season. pitch framing. Okay. Right. Um. Th- those kind of the aspects. Pitch uh. The the pitch re- receiving. Yes. Thank you. Um. He doesn't score well in. And and honestly. Um. Organizations now don't value the home run like, like like they used to, so I don't. So as far as interest from other teams, we saw the Diamondbacks let 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 him go for nothing. As far as interest goes, I don't know if Castillo is going to draw great interest just because of his style of play. I, I his, think his, that Castillo, though, I, I got to meet him this year. He rehabbed a few times with the Bay Sox, and okay. he he seems to have a real leadership quality to him. He okay. is getting maybe a little bit on the older side, though, as well. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another thing that you don't really take into account. Uh, one, one of the things that I think Austin wins the Bay Sox catcher this year, 26 years old, so he's a little bit on the older side for double A. Mm-hmm. But I think he's got a real chance as well to uh, be a big league catcher uh, oh, really? in the okay. next year or two with the Orioles just because he is such an on-field leader. And I think that Cisco has a very good relationship with his teammates, but he's a very quiet guy 
and, and I think that uh, the maturation on and off the field is something that the Orioles have been very happy with with him. Yeah. Um, but they, w- I, I wouldn't be surprised if they want him to see it again. Cisco has been yeah. the youngest player on every team he's been on coming up through the organization that's a great thing to be yeah yeah that's what and, I was doing really uh, good but it's yeah. hard to be that when you're the catcher because you're really kind of the on-field leader right and I think that's what we saw with we saw the opposite with Caleb Joseph right yes. where he was the old guy and then he kind of came up and his his strong point coming up was he had the relationship with all the pitchers because all the pitchers had went through Bowie with them that's yeah true. so yeah. um oh well, yeah Spence in the chat room is is uh, he just messaged the the projected li- his lineup that he thinks is going to be in 2018 for, ne- for next oh, year for right field all and, right. and We're it, doing well, this I don't want to go over the lineup but in right field he put question mark um Austin Hayes do you envision him being the start opening day who's our starting right, right fielder is you think because Seth Smith his contract is up I don't think he's coming back correct is Austin Hayes the the guy the se- next the, year in opening the season's day? not even over yet well it's over, Josh. It's over, Josh. <laughs> well, no, okay. I know it's over, but it's But mathematically, we're still, we can still win, right, Josh? No, I'm just saying okay. I thought bring, the whole point of bringing Adam in here is we wouldn't have to talk about off-season no, stuff. No, I, I think it's a good, a it's a good question. But he got to watch Austin Hayes play a lot, right? All right, And so ahead. is Austin Hayes the opening day starting right fielder? My opinion is uh, was in, in even July, yes. Okay. And my opinion is now even more so yes. Because that makes me happy because Hayes that got means... brought up at this time. Yeah. When you look at uh, some of these other ball players that have been brought up, they, they're AAA players or like Tanner Scott just got called up, but Scott is going to have to go on the 40-man. Right. Uh, with Hayes, it, it, they could have easily had him play in the Bay Sox playoffs Started next year in Norfolk. I know. And, and not take up a 40-man spot. Not take up a 40-man yes. spot. I and, talked and about that a lot. That was your big thing. If he started hot in Norfolk, uh, they could have said, look, we're going we're gonna to let him play here. And then if he is dynamic, as he has been everywhere he's played in the minor leagues, then he's going to come up in mid-May. That's right when Santander's spot, per se, because he's going to have to start the right, season his, in the big his leagues. Right, rule five, clear. So, yeah. so literally you could have Santander be – that last spot on the roster, and then Santander is probably going to need to play another year or two in the minors. So you you option Santander back down to a buoy or Norfolk, right. and then you flip flop with Hayes, and now you got Hayes in theory for an extra year. Right. So by doing it the way they've done it now, uh, and, and even the way they did it, where they brought him up, and then during the entire Bay Sox playoff run, he just sits on the bench. He got three at bats in the first half, week and a half. He was with the Orioles. It's almost a thing where let's get Austin acclimated these last three weeks of the season to the major leagues. We're not going to throw him into the fire right away. Let's let him hit. Let's let him be around the team for a little bit. And now, especially with Smith struggling, Trumbo struggling and such, uh, it, it's a thing where he's the best guy to play right field for the Orioles right now. He was the so, best guy two weeks ago too, but fine. But, yeah. but, so so the, the thing is that he profiles as a right fielder as well. He hits yeah. for power. He's a big pull hitter. And uh, and he's he's going to be he's got excellent bat speed. Uh, he's a guy that basically, as a hitter, uh, he doesn't hit the ball the other way very often. He doesn't walk very often. He doesn't steal many bases. I mean, there are things he doesn't do. 
Uh, he kind of is reminiscent a bit to what Jonathan Scope was when yeah. he was coming up, but he's probably a little bit ahead of that when Scope made his debut because Scope came up the minor leagues even a little bit younger. And from uh, what I heard, he, he has a bit of a better eye on the strike zone as far as swinging at balls. He in, does, in yes. the dirt. Scope, that was my biggest with Scope when he was caught up, could not lay off the ball in the dirt. Right, and that's changed big time now. I think oh, he's, yeah. that, you know, we've seen him at times, you know, with the check swings on pitches in the dirt, uh, but what he does is he forces pitchers to throw him strikes. And then he hits. Then he he hits it up. hard. And, yeah. and he, yeah, he just he really, really uh, hits mistakes hard. And uh, he hit. Uh, he had by far the highest exit velocity of, of oh, really? members of the Bay Sox this season. Okay. So well, I think they should have waited till May to bring him up. It's, but, except it's hard to argue with that plan when we saw it work with Trey Mancini the past year. Okay, I still would rather have the. I don't care about the acclamation. I think it's a bit nonsense. But, um, but I, it does make me happy because I won't have to watch Joey Rickard on opening day, and any, and, that, and that'll make me happy because I don't want Joey Rickard to be our opening day outfielder. But what so, about all those people who bought Joey Rickard jerseys? Yeah. <laughs> Early in 2016. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and it's interesting about Santander's going to be up for a month because of Rule 5 stuff. Right, but he'll be a bench guy. But we presume that the Orioles will have another Rule 5 guy there, right? Right. But, but yeah, maybe, probably a bullpen guy. But maybe, probably a, pitcher. Have, but maybe right. a pitcher. This I'll tell time. you this. Austin Hayes is going to be a big-time fan favorite. And yeah. people are going to love him. And when, when we're sitting here talking next year, uh, and, you, and the Orioles game's playing in the background, there's going to be a ton of people wearing his jersey and his shirts at games because of the way he plays he doesn't wear batting gloves he hustles out everything uh, there's in Bowie oh he doesn't wear batting gloves I like yeah, that there is I like Black that already he, he, he picks up dirt between every pitch and throws it away he tapes up his wrists uh, he dives for every ball Man, uh, he, run, guy, he right. runs out every ground ball sprints down the line so he's that kind of fan favorite. So he's uh, the opposite of Manny Machado player. is what I'm hearing. He's <laughs> an all-hustle guy. There was one play that, that, uh, that made me smile late in the Bowie season. If you've been to Prince George's Stadium down each line, uh, there's a pretty good uh, amount of foul, room, uh, foul ground down the lines because the bullpens are in play. And then there's like a nine-foot sidewall that's padded. And there was a fly ball down the line, and Hayes thought he was going to be able to get to it. I, I don't know if he thought it was going to be fair or just foul, but it was clearly going to be on that berm. Hayes mm. climbed up the sidewall and then tried to, like, crawl his way <laughs> on the sidewall out of play and, like, made, like, a little sprawling dive. And I was like, I've never seen any – I mean, it was absurd. The fact that he had the speed to get over there showed, number one. I mean, most players would not have even been able to make it to that sidewall by the time it happened. But then he basically Just climbed it like, the wall. like he was in basic training, you know, and uh, jumped up it with two feet and then was crawling to try to make a sprawl. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, that, that sounds like a bobblehead for Bowie next year. <laughs> yes, the, the you're right. Austin the cra crawling Austin A's. The berm crawler. Yeah, that's cool. Th thanks for adding that in there, Bert. Bert, yeah, Bert woke up. <laughs> I like that word burn. Yeah. We. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I gotta. I gotta get back to my 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 notes here. We talked about. Oh, I wanted the Orioles. I want to talk about one more minor my, my league and go back to to, to the pitching here. Um, the pitcher of the year in the minors for the Orioles. Yeah. I, 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 Alex Wells, if I can say it. Right. Alex Wells for the short. Uh, he's in Delmarva, right? Or is he in? Or is he in? Okay. Had this insane streak that would show up on my Twitter every now and then. So many scoreless innings. Um, right. Is this guy? I haven't heard a lot about him. Is it? Is his stuff good? Or is, is like why is he not a bigger prospect than? than or is he it is? just that it's low A? Which, which with, with all the the good stats, yeah. And why no promotion? This it's just because all the good stats. Well, he's so young. That's okay. why. 
Uh, he's also new to the country. He's from Australia. Okay. So the, uh, I don't think they want to push. There's nothing wrong but, with, but this with bringing, success. But this isn't bringing someone the, the from Korea. Barrier, There's a, the language barrier. The accents are tough. It's a little easier. The accents are tough. The accent, but, but and when you're a few playing, words. But when you're playing. No, no kangaroos hopping around. It's difficult. Uh, when you're playing Australian <laughs> baseball, though, I think growing up, it's just such a different level. Yeah. With getting the he pro ball. He was playing ball. cricket, actually. He was playing cricket. Exactly. So yeah. the big thing is that he's had success now for two consecutive years. He was Aberdeen's pitcher of the year in 16 and and obviously was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year in 17 it really uh goes to show because the Orioles I've noticed they like to make the pitcher and player of the year guys that are either just barely in the major leagues like Hayes Hayes is going to be honored uh it'll be Saturday night and he's on the Orioles uh Donnie Hart was the pitcher of the year last year yeah Uh, you know so so they they like to have guys that are there but Wells was by far the best pitcher in the Orioles minor leagues this year Which, as far as his numbers. It, it is the Orioles, though. So but he's, that's not. he doesn't throw hard. And, oh, he doesn't and, throw hard. And okay. that's the thing. But he's young, so that's some, is that something that how, – like how much does pitching as far as your speed develop? Because certainly – at 22, you probably throw harder than, than you did when you were 19, right? Right, or is that yeah. Not true? I, right. I think well, he's and, 19 or 20 years old. Okay, so there is a chance that maybe he could yes. throw harder. And, 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 and he's throwing system, 88 or 89. And, and okay. so your hope is, obviously, that, that he's a guy with great control that – like you said, Josh, that he's a guy that that's throwing ninety-one to ninety-three. Right. You yeah. give him a physical trainer, and he's going to bulk up a little bit. Yeah. Not Sabathia's size, but it's just a little <laughs> bigger. And and we'll, we'll see how and we'll see how he does after the Tommy John surgery in two thousand eighteen. So we'll <laughs> exactly. see how that, that goes. Well and he's got a twin brother who pitches in the Twins organization. It's right. Is that true? It's yeah. Good, yeah it's going to yeah. take him some time, though. I, I don't think he's uh, a guy that's going to just jump through. He might be in every level type pitcher because right. when guys don't have great the best stuff per se um you almost have to prove that your stuff plays at right. every level so you got to get experience you you know we're just throwing out names now but you, you know a guy who's i've always heard has good stuff but every time he pitches he's terrible why why is chris lee so bad right because he's a guy that i feel like they always talk about super talented left-handed pitcher but then you look at the era every year and it's in in the high sixes. <laughs> why, why, why is that? He had a really good season with Bowie in 2016. 2017, uh, obviously, he struggled. He's, he's been, yeah, he struggled uh, 2016, he was having a great year, and then he got hurt, to be honest. So this was a disappointing season because it was such a great opportunity uh, for him to be able to uh, get to the major leagues this year. The opportunity was ripe, and he was unable yeah. to grasp it. He's a, sink- a, bunch of guys, he's a yeah. sinker-balling pitcher. He throws with really good velocity. Uh, but uh, but unfortunately, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened this year in Norfolk. I didn't see him pitch, obviously, yeah. this season. Uh, but my guess is that, um, I mean, fastball command is so important. It's, it's what makes uh, guys like Davies and, and, and Alex Wells so, uh, you know, so important because they can throw the ball exactly where they want. And right. Chris Lee is a guy that, that has never had great fastball command. Yeah, it's kind of important when you're pitching to, to know where the ball goes, Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, all right. One thing, though, we, we talked about some of these outfielders. DJ Stort um, is, uh, is such a fun guy because you mentioned him. I like him, yeah. And, and uh, one of the big questions is why he started so slowly and then got better. He really has a brand new batting stance. Yeah, really. And okay. I, and I think that because um, he was kind of infa- he, he started the with the squat, infamous, right? The, the, the infamous squat. Exactly. Yeah, and there was questions if he could be successful with that. One squat. of the things I've noticed: the Orioles don't try to change you too much the year they draft you, 
And if what you're okay. doing on your own, I mean, they're going to make tweets. Unless you're a pitcher. But but yeah, it, but if you're what you're doing on your own is not working, then then they're going to go into that next off season and work on it. Yeah. So Stewart really changed his batting stance going into 16, and he's literally, if you look, he started slow in 16, he finished strong, and then he started okay in 17 at a level where people are like, why is he in Bowie? And yeah. then he finished extremely strong. I hit a 400 aim base percentage the last half of the season and uh, one, the first ever base sock, as Bert was talking about, to be a 2020 guy, uh, you know, in a season in base socks history. So, uh, for, for, I did say that. <laughs> you did? I did say that. <laughs> so, for DJ Stewart, I what did I say? <laughs> people will say, well, how, how's the guy that hit 215, 220 in Aberdeen? Yeah. You know, why is he, what's going on? Well, that's yeah. what's happening. He's well, starting to get a feel for this new stance. And I think the main reason why it didn't work, and this is just me pontificating, but yeah. but you don't see a lot of consistent velocity in college baseball. There might be one or two guys that throw really hard on a team, but you're going to see a lot of guys that throw 86, 87 miles an yeah, hour yeah, in Division One baseball. Yeah. And he pummeled it. He's got great uh, plate discipline. And when you change your stance and your eye level and everything, it just it, it's a, it's so different. And the thing that I really like being around uh, DJ this entire year is that this guy is he loves baseball, yeah. And he's got a major work ethic, and his struggles. And because Oriole fans are great fans, that I, I think if DJ played uh, like let's say for an Arizona Diamondbacks, or something, you, you know, yeah, yeah. that he wouldn't have been scrutinized for his struggles early in the low levels of the minor leagues like he was by Oriole fans right. who immediately gave up. Oh, this guy's a bust. Yeah, you know? yeah. Anytime we see a first-round pick struggle, we, we're all over it exactly. because we've seen that enough times. And, and I, I don't want to take all the credit, but we interviewed him. Uh, we interviewed right. uh, DJ Stewart, and I, I gave him some, some, some advice. I said, the Orioles have no interest in you walking and getting on base, <laughs> right? We want you to, to swing for the fences or strike out. And, and then he started to turn the season around. So I'm not and saying it's related, but... Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> early in the season, uh, the Orioles told him, it's funny you say this, because they said, we're thinking you're leaving a lot on the bone. You are taking so many pitches that you are taking... A lot of people say you get one really good pitch in an at-bat to hit. And the Orioles thought that DJ was taking that pitch quite often at the end of the year in Frederick, even though he put up good numbers. Early in the season, he was an ambush hitter. I mean, he yeah. was swinging at the first pitch all the time. And quite often, he's chasing a first-pitch hard-breaking ball in the dirt. It's the other way, yeah. You know, and, <laughs> he got coached up. And, yeah. uh, it, which is wild. And uh, for DJ Stewart, at the end of the season, I think we really start to, uh, started to see the kind of player uh, that he is yeah. in that, uh, that he really started working the count and, and hitting home runs on, let's say, the ninth pitch of an at-bat, which is something that uh, it's going to be exciting to see if he can keep progressing. He's not there yet. Uh, but I, I'm hoping that Stewart is a guy that starts next year in Norfolk. Yeah, well, he's so, my favorite guy from Bowie. We we were really impressed with him when we so, talked with so him. So you told DJ Stewart to swing more. You told Trey Mancini to practice in the outfield. I, I told Trey Mancini he <laughs> needs yes. to go practice right. in the offseason before he was uh, playing left field. Right. No one told him. I said, Trey. Get out there and play in left field, man. Right. His response was that he's never played outfield before, and the Orioles don't want him to play yeah, outfield. I said, I don't, I don't care. Go out there and shag some fly balls. Well, I so get out there. My, my question is, what did you ask Tanner? What did you tell Tanner Scott to do? I, I told Tanner because Scott, he's now in the majors. Yeah, <laughs> what did you yeah, tell him to do? Yeah. I told him he needs. To, I told him, hey, j if you just throw strikes, buddy. I told him to throw uh, strikes. Well, that's not really. 
Well, he's. Oh the, no, 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 no! Here's what I said. I forget. Here's what I said. I said he walks so many guys. We have right. pace of play issues in the majors. <laughs> oh yeah, you uh, told him just to hit up. the guy. If you're going to walk the guy, like <laughs> if you strike out two guys, you know you're going to walk the third guy. Just let him go to first base. So don't you're not wasting anyone's time. That's right. Just let him go to first base and strike out the 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 next guy. Let's speed this thing up a little bit. That was my advice. Uh, he's he's uh, didn't take that. But yeah. you're two for three. Yeah. Two for three is not bad, and maybe once it gets—that's why he's not not a uh, right. an everyday major league guy. If he wants to right. get there, we need to talk to him this offseason again and help him out. <laughs> the pace of play, just you know, everyone's waiting for you to throw seven pitches to get a guy. Guy goes to first base, just intentional walk, and strike out the next guy. Better for everyone. All right, how's your list over there of things you wanted to talk about? No, it's good. No, I, 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 I got through them all. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about the the base. I mean, that must have been fun to watch base. Like, she's hit all those home runs. Yeah, they got a bunch of 20 home run guys. Um, and just an exciting year for the base Sox and the offense. Right? It, it really was. And uh, being good at Double A matters. Uh, obviously, you can be good with a bunch of 27 year old players, and then it doesn't matter as much. But but uh, being good at Double A matters. And the base Sox were younger than they usually are. And they were good. And I think that was a surprise because, once again, players like Hayes and Mullins and Stort, I mean, they were not thought to be top 100 prospects in minor league baseball. Even Mountcastle, who struggled to finish the year uh, in Bowie, had a much bigger offensive season than many people thought because of mm-hmm. his age. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I finally uh, – or I saw a uh, the first uh, minor league report. In the last two years, the Orioles – have been rated in the bottom five of all minor league systems uh, as far as the talent rankings are considered. Right. And the first postseason report I saw this year had them ranked 15th. Wow. And, uh, and, and that's a big step forward. Yeah. So. I've been saying this for a while. The, the minor league system is not devoid of talent. It's not as bad as everyone thinks it is. It's better than, peop- than people are saying. Right. It, it, people just haven't been – a lot of it is that the Orioles have – Uh, And to be honest, to me, the first person that really was was Jonathan Scope. They've been able to hit on some guys that really did not command big money in the grand scheme of things. When you look at who the top prospects are in Baseball America, they're usually guys that are getting millions of dollars, and then they show that they're worth it. And Matt Wieters would be an example of that. Uh, Dylan Bundy would be an example of that. But when you have a guy that comes up like Mancinian's okay for a few years, and then it clicks... Well, you know, he was an eighth-round pick that didn't get any money in the right. minor leagues. And it's like, well... That let, no one watched their whole career right. from the well, moment he was drafted. I don't drafted. know if he's going to be... He's not only really good enough defensively to be a good defensive first baseman. And, uh, and I don't know if he can hit enough to be a first baseman in the American League. So, I just... I, I, you know, he's not going to be a top 100 prospect. Well, you can say that, but he should have been. Yeah. Jonathan Scope... Uh, when you look back when he was in Bowie, Scope was rated like 80th or 90th in minor league baseball. And if you look, I don't know, if you took a screenshot right now and looked at the players that were around him, he's better than them all. So um, so the Orioles have had some of these under-the-radar guys, and I think that, to be honest, they are a little frustrated about the fact that some of these guys have not gotten the acclaim. Uh, but Austin Hayes, uh, uh, just reading some blogs and such, Hayes was not a top 100 guy. Uh, at the All-Star break, they rated him 99th overall. Wow. And then uh, at the end of this season, he's going to be in the top 20 yeah. as far as minor league prospects. Yeah, so the Orioles great. should have two of the top 30 yeah. or 40 and, and, prospects. And part of that has to be based on history. Because, and they're just assuming the Orioles don't draft well, the Orioles don't have great players. Well, it's, and it, 
they, they so they look at the numbers, but they the, part of it is the reputation that the Orioles have. It's the same reason that they're picked for last place every year in the AL East. I, I don't know. I, I I think it has a lot to do with we just don't know how good players are. Aaron Judge, I just looked it up. Aaron Judge in 2016 sure. was a seven. His he is the rookie of the year by far. Probably the best rookie baseball player we've seen in a while. I mean, uh, the the biggest power hitter in, in, in the American League. Um, just a dominating player and judge. Last year he was ranked 76 in in the in the top 100 prospects. Right, right that's a yeah. If you, if you go, that's the number one guy. Right? That's exactly. number one guy, Aaron yeah. Judge. Right. So and even, people missed him. And where, where's Reese Hoskins know. on that list? Reese Hoskins led all of minor league baseball in home runs, and, and he was the starting first baseman for Double A Reading. And uh, Hoskins, uh, you know, he he's absolutely going nuts right now for yeah. uh, for the Phillies. And uh, and I doubt he would be in that list either because yeah, he was a fifth round him. draft yeah. choice. Yeah, and, and now he's in home runs every other game. <laughs> and, and he's a nothing defensively because yeah. they're always going to put the pitchers that throw you know harder, and they're going to put uh, players that are very good, uh, not only offensive players but also like in the in the Phillies organization they love this shortstop JP Crawford because he's mm. so young for the level because he was a high school pick and he's a really good defensive shortstop. But the reality is. You know, if you can hit, you can hit. Yeah. And there's something about defenders like Byron Buxton for a while couldn't oh, hit, yeah. hit a lick, but was still helping the team and still overall positive on that team just because he was so good defensively. So even if you're fast and you can play good good defense, you can still help the team if you, even if you don't hit. Whereas if you're one of those offensive talents, you need to hit. And that's, sure. I think, is harder to project obviously that then speed or defense is right and, and one of the things I'm, I'm hoping that Hayes will bring to the Orioles along with uh, with guys like Mullins and such especially Mullins when I think about these guys is that that ability to be so rangy and, and because of that uh, really improve uh, the outfield defense in that regard uh, because Mullins uh, is an outstanding defensive center yeah. fielder I mean he makes some jaw-dropping plays and he's an exciting hitter, too, because he hits for such power. And when he's hot, he can be a guy that can win you games. Um, he, he can be dynamic. He really struggled offensively for the most part down the stretch. But he hits the ball hard. And when he's on, he's on. And uh, I, I think that uh, Hayes will improve the Orioles defensively by leaps and bounds next year. Also, with yeah. what he'll be able oh, to do. Oh, absolutely. Over over Seth Smith or Hyunsu Kim or, or certainly Mark, Mark Trumbull Mark yeah. out there. Joke. I'm, I'm I'm excited to see some of these young um, outfielders. I'm I'm, I'm excited you guys for two reasons. These other guys are still in the roster, and they're going to have to make room for the other you know. aspect of it. Is you know when you, the Orioles are removing a lot of uh, taking it away from a minor league angle, but they they are removing a lot of salary from from their roster right oh. now. JJ uh, Hardy, Obaldo Jimenez. Um, they have to make a tough decision with Wade Miley, possibly Wade Miley, Chris Tillman. Um, who am I missing here? There's there's a bunch but of guys. But even a right? guy like Castillo. So so let's Castillo. say Cisco does make the opening day roster, yeah. and now Hayes makes it. Well, those guys are making the minor league minimum, uh, or major league minimum. Excuse so me. Talking like five hundred fifty thousand right. bucks or something. And yeah. and, uh, and then you're able to then use that and go get a pitcher. Yeah. That's one of the other things why I'd like the Zach Davies trade hurts so much because not only. Uh, are, is Wade Miley pitching instead of Zach Davies, but he's making 20 times as much money. So in effect, you could have had Zach Davies and then gone out and bought another pitcher uh, because of the money. So the Orioles may have room, uh, or they will have room, uh, because of some of the flexibility that a guy like Hayes helps you with 
with the roster that you're not even spending five or six million dollars. I don't know what does Seth Smith make. Yeah, he's I think something like seven million right. dollars or something. So yeah. Now, now you up. got Hayes, and, and he's 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 a more uh, or he's going to be a more dynamic player. And you you put Hayes and Cisco, and you take away uh, Smith and Castillo in that That's regard. Fourteen million dollars. Boom, yeah. and that could yeah. be a pitcher. That yeah. that could be if he's if he's a league average pitcher. Yeah, uh, that could make you a playoff team. But. but but if you're the Orioles and you save all that money, what do you do if you're Dan Duquette? Do you go out and get a pitcher, or do you pay Manny Machado? It's true. It's true. Does because, Manny Machado want to be? That's, the argument we've been using all year was all this money clears, so you can afford Manny, even at the $400 sure. million. Yeah, we, we did the math. It works. It works. <laughs> right, because you don't pay $400 million in one year. Well, the Orioles... So. Yeah, I, I you think, do with the Chris Davis deal, you pay it over the course years. of 1,000 years. Right. Yeah, exactly. whatever. And yeah. I think the Orioles would do it that way, too. I think that uh, Peter Angelos is the reason why Chris Davis was re-signed. Yep. Um, it wasn't a thing where Dan Duquette's going and knocking on the door saying we need him. And, and uh, Right. It, Dan Duquette made it pretty clear last offseason that he was done. The window, what did he close to say? The candle was out or something? Yeah. Well, and, and even with the Trumbo deal, he had a number and he wasn't moving. <laughs> right? right. And Trumbo tried to get another deal and couldn't get another deal, right. deal elsewhere. So I agree. People criti- criti- they, they criticized Dan Duquette for that deal. But, yeah, I think that was a Peter Angelos move as well. And I hope Peter Angelos feels as strongly about Manny Machado as he did about Chris Davis. My, my opinion is that he does because yes. uh, there's there's a few things other than just talking to people over the years um, that, that would point me in that way. But uh, I think the first real uh, semblance of that was the fact that the Orioles were willing to listen to offers for Zach Britton this year, and nobody blew them away. Um, and, uh, and that's why they, they didn't make that trade. They were yep. looking to get a, a dynamic deal like the Eric Bedard deal back in the day. Yep. And, uh, and I think Britton was worth that. Machado would be worth more. And you can argue that, boy, you know, with when you know the Orioles knew this. I mean, it wasn't in the books yet, but the Orioles knew, boy, we've got a lot of good young offensive players coming up through the system. And, boy, if we trade Machado away and we get – two or three really good young pitching prospects yep. that are at the double a level and right. higher we could have a wave of talent right. that is the rebuild you know yep. that that basically right. you could rebuild with one move with, with one, one move yeah uh, but I, I they never even they made it sure for everyone to know that that wasn't the case well wow. and you hope immediately that's for a long and, term and, and the reason for that there's only one main major reason for that other than well, there's there's two obviously. There's the aspect of trying to win now, uh, and uh, you know you have a general manager and a manager that had only signed through next year, and you've got an owner that's in his late 80s. Yeah. Uh, tell a person in their late 80s that you want to rebuild. That's that's usually not a, a good process, right? Especially for this franchise because we we our rebuild lasted a long. <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't a three year re- rebuild. Exactly. Um, but the biggest thing that that is important in the, the our whole minor league talk is that without making you know a big trade the minor leagues are still going to be a middle of the pack minor league system next year and that's important because they're going to have some some tools because they could trade a Santander or they could trade a Mullins or a DJ Stewart and get something for those right players middle now. of the pack doesn't mean bad correct correct and uh, when when you don't really spend any money signing young Latin players and things like that. You've got to do a very good job in the draft to get to where they are. So that they've made some really good draft choices. The interesting thing is their first-round picks haven't always, you know, hit big time of late. But in the same regard, you know, as far as immediate stars. Right. But, boy, Mancini, an eighth-rounder, and, and 
uh, and, and having a guy like Hayes being a third rounder and even yeah. just getting guys to the major leagues that were lower round picks like Yakabonis, a 13th rounder, and Hart was in the mid-20s. And, you know, things like that yeah. are a sign that they're drafting better than they were uh, yeah. 10 years ago. Absolutely. Adam Paul, we could sit here and talk to you all day, man. This is great stuff. <laughs> every every, every <laughs> time I, we have Adam on, it's, it's like I record know. time. We're it's, running over an hour. way over. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is an hour podcast. We're going an hour and twenty minutes. My we laptop gotta, died. We got <laughs> no, that's, that's a sign. That's right. a sign. I, I, I thought you were just packing up to go home. No, I, it died on me. So sorry, chat room people. Yeah. <laughs> I, to be honest, I got distracted when Adam brought up the fact that Altoona, Pennsylvania, has a roller coaster. <laughs> right yeah, you were done at that moment. And I do a Google image search, and I couldn't stop staring at the picture. And I want to go there. Do they ride the roller coaster during the games? You know they do not, which okay. is smart. That, that would be, a be incredible. Because if you're a left-handed hitter, because it's in right, um, you're going to want to be coconutting somebody on that roller coaster. There's no doubt about it. It'd be hard to try to hit a ground ball through the left side of the infield. That'd be better than hitting the warehouse, baby. Yeah, hit the roller coaster. But it's an old-school wooden roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. Those, the are, the, those really are the cool. roller coasters I like. You know, the rickety feel. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a unique thing. And unfortunately for the Bay Sox, Altoona, uh, just a week ago, won the Eastern League Championship. They're the team that swept the Bay Sox um, in the playoffs. Bums. Because of the roller coaster? <laughs> yeah, yes. It, yes. Right. No, it's not talent. The Bay Sox need a roller coaster, man. <laughs> <laughs> Have what? all talent in the world, but or, or a roller because coaster. of the Orioles ripping away the talent from the Bay Sox. That's also true. Yeah, well, if you that was good stuff. If you want to check out Adam Pohl, you can't see him at the Bay Sox currently because it is the off season. That's right. Uh, but you can check out his podcast on Baltimore Baseball. Uh, what ba- 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 Baltimore's Baseball? Yeah, BaltimoreBaseball.com is the okay. Dan Connolly site. Yeah, and everybody else right writes. And, and I'm the weirdo, so I actually do a show. So, so I send it to Dan, and then, uh, God bless, he's got to listen to everyone, and then he writes an article <laughs> about it, basically. Yeah. And uh, even the terrible ones, he still says, you should listen to it. So, 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 <laughs> so he's nice enough in that regard. Yeah, and I always enjoy your podcast as well. I mean, if you're into the Orioles and you like the minor league systems and watching young players, I mean, that's the podcast how, you, you can listen get, to. It's how you oh, get yeah. to know those young guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's true. It's a lot of interviews with players uh, or interviews. What what I always do is I talk to people that actually watch the Orioles minor league people play. Uh, I think the only person that I talked to this year that wouldn't was we had a cool interview with Josh Norris of Baseball America, and I wanted to know who was the best fit uh, for an Orioles uh, trade partner right, right. Uh, coming into uh, this season for a, a possible Zach Britton type of deal. And uh, it looked like the Astros would have been the best fit. And in the end, it seemed to me that that's who the Orioles wanted to deal with, and it just didn't come together. Yeah, the Astros didn't want to give up any of their top prospects. So, uh, you know, the minor leagues, it's so fluid because players go to the major leagues so quickly that, for instance, the Washington Nationals, uh, you know, they they have had a very good minor league system, a lot lot of depth in pitching uh, over the years. And they've got some elite prospects in the low levels of the minors. Uh, but a lot of times when you make a trade for a big-time player, uh, you're looking for guys that are double, triple-A players. Right. And if you watch the Bay Sox play Harrisburg, the Nats affiliate, Harrisburg, except for when they called it Victor Robles at the end of the year, Harrisburg was a very old veteran team. They didn't have many prospects. And the Bay Sox had, you know, eight to ten guys that you would right. think are interesting players 
to watch, and, and you would have said, wait, I thought the Nats were the minor league system that was loaded. You know, what, right, what right, is right. this? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I just don't think the Nats were a very good partner. They traded uh, their top two pitching prospects at the end or, or in uh, before the 2017 season in the deal that brought them Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton, yeah. And I just don't think, because of that, those would have been the two guys that the Orioles would have wanted in a Zach Britton deal. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's just too bad in some regard that if if the Orioles could have gotten that big influx, it would have been probably with the Dodgers or the Astros, but it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll wait and see if it happens this offseason or uh, next trade deadline. I'll be be surprised if Zach Britton rides his contract out to, to the end. Because you can't yeah, pay yeah. everybody. Right. He looks yeah. like yeah. a guy that, and especially with so many arms in your pen, you don't have starters, but you do have arms in your pen that you yeah. would think yeah. Britain's on his way out. All right. Can I, can, I, can I go ahead and wrap up this show? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're not I going mean, to your strawberry, right? Thoughts, you're gonna, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, you, I, I did my roller coaster. Can, you, <laughs> can, can your, this week's strawberry wait till next week, or you got to get it out now? Is no, it timely? I'll, no, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put the strawberry. I'll make a, a strawberry the week next week. I got one, but it can wait till, till next week. <laughs> yeah, th- this strawberry is going to blow your mind. It's a millennial strawberry. Oh, boy. Classic case dog involved, but I'll, I'll wait till, till next week. Um, let, let's wrap up the show. You can follow us on Twitter. You can check us out on Instagram at Section 336 Show yeah. on Facebook. Go ahead and write us a review. We'd appreciate that. Um, if you want to follow Adam Pohl and all his updates on Twitter, you can follow Adam at what's your at Twitter? Pohl Adam, but it's P O H L. Somebody took Adam Pohl, so I went at Pohl Adam. <laughs> okay, at Pohl Adam. Um, and you can follow. You can you can uh, pay him some money. You get his Twitter. That's right. <laughs> and you can follow me at Section 336. You can follow Bert at Bert Rody. That's Bert. R O D E as in road. Right, Burt yes, Road. Burt Road. Yeah, so we got a pole on a road. And you can follow Josh Soroka. <laughs> <a> pole on <laughs> the road. At Josh Soroka. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's and go Ravens and go Bowie. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Section 336 podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles obsessed father, and Bert, uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches.